What's up, brother? Hey, man. Doing all right, you know? Let's jump into it, yeah? Cool. We got a juicy show today. Cool. Um, so we are going to be talking about uh, wokeness. Indeed. In fact, we're going to, I think, title the show Inhabit Your Wokeness, which is, yeah. uh, I think, going to be a little bit provocative. <laughs> yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe, amongst, who, you know, world. for whom wokeness kind of sits in the shadow. Um, I think the yeah. goal of this show is to try to pull it out of shadow, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that all of us here in integral land are uh, generally supportive of um, helping to regulate um, basically the green altitude and try to help it however we can to shift into some of its more healthy expressions mm-hmm. while leaving some of its more unhealthy expressions by the wayside. Yeah. And I think personally, we see a lot of both, a lot of healthy stuff and a lot of unhealthy stuff, a lot of babies and a lot of bathwater mm-hmm. when it comes to the wokeism mm-hmm. over the last yeah. years. Yeah. Um, so hopefully we're going to, we're going to um, unpack some of this because, uh, you know, Ryan, I, one of the things that occurs to me is whenever I see, well, I'm not going to say whenever, but typically when I see, I would say maybe nine times out of 10. When mm-hmm. I see a criticism of either green or mm-hmm. wokeism, and we'll talk about some of the differences there shortly. Yeah. But whenever I see criticisms of these things online, uh, even in integral communities, yeah. it feels to me like nine times out of 10, the critique is coming from a pre-green point of view. Yeah. Right. The critiques are not often transcending and including the values and really yeah. the urgency. Yeah. It's a real urgency that's yeah. animating the woke. Yeah movement yeah um and i think we want to you know maybe do a better job of creating a you know what i've been just generally calling a post woke space where mm-hmm. we can do exactly that where we can transclude the very best the very mm-hmm. very best of you know sort of cutting edge green we can support mm-hmm. it where it's healthy mm-hmm. and hopefully we can set up you know some guardrails um mm-hmm. around those uh unhealthy versions of yeah. which there are many <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? um, for sure. but this is the main problem that we're having is that i've been seeing over the last several years this almost allergic reaction and mm-hmm. you know oftentimes appropriate reaction yeah. to, you know against wokeism mm-hmm. and i think in so doing um i often see um genuine concerns around social justice being kind of thrown out the window along with it so again mm-hmm. it's, it's mm-hmm. one of those babies in the bathwater yeah problems, and yeah. we're here to rescue as many of them damn babies as we can yeah exactly yeah i think we we've touched upon this kind of thing in different ways you know over many episodes but we haven't had one explicitly about this topic and um seems more relevant right now you know if you look at um the news just because after shifting out of Trump era and into Biden era, um, you know, and, and as we're looking towards, we're moving through the pandemic. I mean, that's, we can feel the end wherever that might be in sight. And so there's pressures alleviating, I think in certain ways, even though there's a lot of difficulty in life still. Um, and uh, I think because of that, it's interesting that now I'm seeing more tension around woke or post-wokeism, you know, um, right now coming up. Whereas for a while it was kind of quite because for so many of us, <laughs> whether green or, or integral, just the problems felt so heavy that like, 
we just kind of had a, a lot of things got cleared out and we were just focused on singularly focused on a few things. It's like, well, we're just dealing with this pandemic. And for most, a lot of us, we're dealing with Trump, you know, and now it's like, well, we have a little more freedom to dive into more nuances. I think we talked about this before where like, we said that we're going to return to some topics that were important around this kind of thing, but like at a later point, because it just seemed irrelevant in a certain way <laughs> at the time. Well, um, as you often used to say, I mean, you know, the, our priority at the time was putting out the fire and the fire yeah. in this case was, you know, voting. Out exactly. That, for me, that was the case. And now like there's been some fires put out from, you know, my, you know, my perspective, I think from yours too, that, um, and then now it's like, okay, now we're going to sniff out some other problems that were around prior, <laughs> but just were not the biggest uh, issue. Um, But some of these problems, I think, did contribute to, for example, like all the criticisms I have of the Trump uh, administration and and all that going down. I think there's things, uh, multiple factors from integral perspective that helped set that fire. Now we're going to investigate and go through the rubble, (laughs) you know, and say, how did this happen? And I think so we're experiencing some of that. But, um, you know, I think to your point, I, I really think the emphasis right now for me is, is, like how to transcend and include because there's so many issues that green is really addressing that, that, that green has in its sites front and center that are really important that are unresolved. And how do we bring that forward into your, your comment about uh, many criticisms, a lot of criticisms that you see are actually pre green. And so in that sense, you know, I think mentioned this before about a pre trans fallacy kind of thing along, you know, sense and integral, you know, that there's mm-hmm. just like, no, it's, it's actually not post green. And so then the question for me is, is like, this is what I would just put spot on for that, for, to, to a person who's criticizing that way, what exactly about green is good that you, that you value, that you're bringing forward, that you think needs to happen, but you think it needs to be done in an integral way. And then I think there's a lot that would be exposed about that position. And, and if I don't hear much, you know, if I, if I hear that like racism really isn't a problem, we just need to stop talking about it or, or, or start, you know, if they're not doing anything about it, then I'm going to be like, okay, that doesn't sound like it's a, it's post green. Right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, just to, just to kind of set the table a little yeah. bit from my own perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Thanks. You, you do know, a good job I, with that. I, I really do see sort of the woke movement and the MAGA movement as um, in many ways equivalent uh, in many ways, I would describe them both as reactionaries reacting to reactionaries, right? Mm-hmm. And so we have this unintegrated political polarity that really comes from the top down, right? So we have an unintegrated Congress. We have an unintegrated uh, governing system altogether. We've never had more gridlock, right? Yeah. In the political system than we've had in the last 20, 25 years. Right. And this has metastasized into culture. And this has, um, you know, really self-organized around all sorts of wedge issues that have become the front lines of our, you know, never-ending culture wars. And those culture wars are only getting more and more inflamed. And of course, it requires an integral point of view in order to start seeing through those culture wars. Yeah. All of these broken pieces and to start, mm. you know, kind of putting them back together. Yeah. Into, you know, something resembling a new whole. Yeah. So I want to you know, say that from the outset, that it's not that we were ignoring these problems mm-hmm. or, you know, a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think what it is, is, you know, as we're just saying, when it comes time to act, we have to prioritize. We have to come up with a priority stack. What is the list of problems, right? Which problems are most pressing and which problems require some level of triage, right? I mean, we have to place all of our attention yes. on this problem so that we can get to that problem over here. 
Well, uh, from my point of view, yes. You know, we're not over the whole MAGA thing. I mean, I'm 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 in the midst of the six-part HBO QAnon documentary, which I highly mm. recommend everybody um, out there watch. It's a really really great documentary, and it doesn't come from any strong point of view. It doesn't come from, uh, 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 for example, uh, an anti-First Amendment first uh, point of view. Um, mm. It's a really well done documentary. I encourage you all to check it out. But that just foregrounds for me that this problem is not over, right? I mean, we still yeah, have for sure. To- have this ongoing problem on that side yeah Uh, but i want to start talking about the problems on the left right now because Mm -hmm. you know as much urgency as i felt around maga culture um you know a few months ago uh that urgency came from the fact that these guys were in positions of power Mm -hmm. right and now the left is in positions of power and I'm also not going to deny that when it comes to you know the woke movement itself it's already inserted itself into positions of power over the last several years and i don't want people to think that we've been ignoring that it has certainly inserted itself into academia into Mm. hollywood into pop culture i mean it's you know the cultural hegemony has been won by the left um and the economic hegemony has been won by the right and i think that um you know this is an appropriate time for us to start criticizing some of the stuff that's happening in the cultural side over there Mm. um Finally, I want to say, you know, a piece about social justice um, before we begin, because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I think that social justice generically is, um, includes a set of values that integralists can and probably should try to get behind. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I enact the phrase social justice, I'm immediately reminded of Carol Gilgan, actually, and mm-hmm. how she described development. You know, Mm -hmm. Carol Gilligan actually discussed development as having sort of two different paths for boys and girls. There's sort Mm -hmm. of a masculine version Mm -hmm. and a feminine version. And the masculine version tends to emphasize justice. The feminine version tends to emphasize care. They both go through the same general stages of development, but they do so with different expressions. Men tend to, you know, emphasize justice. Women tend to emphasize care, which means boys want to make sure everyone's playing by the rules girls want to make sure everybody's having fun, right? That's a totally glib simplification, <laughs> but, um, but it works. And to me, when I think of the phrase social justice and what it should be, what it ideally can be, is this beautiful integration of masculine and feminine values of justice and of care. You have the justice part and you have the social part. This to me <laughs> is, is an invitation for a more integral enactment of this phrase, social justice, which was one of the reasons why I started the Integral Justice Warrior show with Diane Hamilton uh, and now with Mark Fischler, so that we could, you know, mm-hmm. hopefully try to role model some of these, you know, more integral enactments of social justice. But I, that's a piece that I wanted to front load into this conversation because, again, the phrase social justice, I think, sits in so many of our shadows. We relate to it immediately as like social justice warriors who are virtue signaling and, you know what I mean, have, mm-hmm. doing Facebook hacktivism and, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's sort yeah. of peacocking and the, people are rightfully critical of that. But I don't want to lose that baby in the bathwater. Social justice, there are genuine social justice warriors out there fighting the good fight mm-hmm. and making a measurable impact in the yeah. world. And I want to honor that. Yeah. Yep. Well, and I mean, honestly, I mean, like right now, uh, I mean, the, the, the gift of green is 
social justice, you know, like, and again, in terms of execution and strategy, I, that's where I have usually my criticisms is just the execution on and the strategy of, and that's where integral can help. But as the number of social justice issues out there right now, like just bona fide, super obvious, you know, we don't even have to be nuanced about it. They're just, it's really obvious that it needs addressing whether it's racial or economic social justice is just it's just really obvious that we need to bring it forward i think one of the biggest things too uh, for me that comes up is around linguistics um like mm -hmm. how quickly so often there are words used and because this is the era of social media and there's not much room to post things you know i understand that that's gonna cause people to compress the words they're using but it causes problems sometimes so you hear social justice and all of a sudden that word these two words all of a sudden refer to a whole range of things from, you know, like uh, racism that uh, infects the, the police departments, you know, like just like what we see on video, like just plain evidence, okay, of this kind of thing. But then also can, uh, you know, come down into like minutia things that get debated in academia where like people go, oh my gosh, is this really a thing that we're debating? And does this, and here, this is where for me in, in green, it's like prioritization. How do we prioritize the depth and importance of different um, social justice issues? But just, just go, you know, going back to linguistics, it's just so much gets packed into social justice, into woke. And then you get this debate online of like either woke or anti-woke. And really it's like, well, are we actually debating wholesale, you know? Right. Right. Those two things, are we really concerned about a lot more nuances in there? In which case that means we have to unpack it all. And so I'm often concerned with that of like, let's unpack all the terms. Like, let's not say, don't say woke or say woke, you know, cause that's gonna be the debate. It's like, you know, I'm going to critique wokeism and say like, I want to get rid of that term. And then people want you to not criticize wokeism. It's like, no, we have to find a space where we can really think about this in a nuanced manner. And that first means we have to loosen up about the linguistics and in and de demand of each other that we detail out what it is we mean actually. What do we mean by woke? What do we mean by social justice? But I, I know that's often difficult on Twitter yeah. <laughs> to, to tease out those terms, you know. Well, and everything gets turned into a slogan. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. we have this filter, the social media filter that forces high resolution issues you know, it downsamples them into these low resolution takes. Yeah, it's great for for reaching a lot of people all at once instantaneously. And that may, you know, raising awareness. It's really good for that, but it's really shitty for for approaching all of what is broadcasted in a nuanced manner. That's right. I mean the medium itself is just difficult. Whether we say social media is good or bad, it's just saying like when you only have however many characters, I'm sorry. Right. Like, have you, do you remember having to write an essay in college and the teacher is like, you can only use 500 words. And you're like, shit. <laughs> like I have to give a whole dissertation of 500 words. That's ridiculous. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Or, so or I, the I think they'd say you'd have 10,000 words. So you'd pad the margins and <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. My, my, the eight. biggest challenge I ever had was in grad school when, when it was the opposite and they're like, you only get three pages. And I'm right. like, I got to choose all my words carefully. Right. So here, you know, when we're talking about all this, like that to me is a thread throughout this entire conversation is that if we use a word, what do we mean by the word? What do you mean by the word, you know, listeners? And, and let's detail that out rather than stopping at the word and being like, you said social justice. I like it. You said social justice. I dislike it. Right. Who is this shit? Like in a certain words, they're just two words, but what do we mean by that? So it's like, 
well, I definitely include seeing like every freaking other day uh, a black man being shot by the police, you know, in stupid ways. Uh, like, sorry, that's included for me. Does it include other things? No, it does not. And I have criticisms of things where I'm just like, no, I draw the lines. But at least we can talk about that. We got to unpack it. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that, you know, so much of this really is a product of our age and how asymmetrically information is moving these days. Because I agree with you. I am getting fucking sick and tired of the heartbreak that comes with seeing these videos that come out, you know, every other day. Nah, every, every other, other every other day. That's right. And the problem is, of course, and this is also true on the other side of the road with the QAnon type folks. The problem is, is that we are so bad at handling and understanding statistics, statistical truths and finding our place in statistics that whenever we see something that is so just emotionally devastating, like mm -hmm. watching any of these videos is, mm -hmm. it gives us the sense that this is actually more prevalent than it really is. And I think that this is where we want to have a little bit of caution because I think that, you know, we saw this, you're talking about the linguistics. We saw this, for example, with um, Black Lives Matter versus <laughs> All Lives Matter, right? Here we're, <laughs> here we're literally, we, we created this massive new culture war around the distinction between the word black and the word all. And the irony there was that the meaning of Black Lives Matter, it had a world-centric message to it. Yes. The meaning of all lives matter, which sounds world-centric, actually <laughs> had an ethnocentric message. Yeah, that's right. Linguistics. Right? Yes. So this shows how what happens when everything gets condensed into these really super low-resolution takes. Now, the opportunity there, I think, which was squandered as it always is by the left and the right, was to come to a gen... No, you're right all lives do matter. The problem of police brutality, which I absolutely do think is a very, very real problem, a systemic problem in this culture, mm -hmm. but it doesn't only affect black people. Mm -hmm. If we can just open the conversation like that, we could even say it especially affects black people, but this doesn't only affect black people. Yeah, well, this actually helps us create the political will necessary to make some changes. The mm -hmm. sort of political will that yeah. was getting generated, yeah. right? Before yeah. the, the, you know, defund the police slogan came around and the all cops are bastards slogan came around. Again, just yeah. more low resolution takes, bad faith takes that are meant to hijack conversations, not mm. produce more equitable. Yeah, well, yeah. And that's like, and especially those kind of linguistics, you know, we're talking about developmental spiral, you know, of like, for example, talking to conservative sociocentric individuals and like what's the linguistic approach there and like what are some linguistic non-starters that will clearly uh, as we would expect elicit a negative response and and you know even if we say well it shouldn't it shouldn't it shouldn't elicit a negative response because it's rational so why should i have to change my language to accommodate these idiots you know like that's the reaction i'm trying to bite it but it's like well you have to like, like, like take a different strategic route in order to achieve the very important goals that you've set out, you know, that, um, so that's really important. I think the linguistics though, even uh, aside from the developmental spiral, you know, of like egocentric sociocentrism and world uh, centric uh, individuals, like even just this like green and integral, we're just dealing with these two uh, developmental levels there's linguistics to unpack and they're like in subtler ways, like the black lives matter, all lives matter. And then the messaging around it, that's like, so like just heavy handed from an integral perspective of like, 
kind of duh, <laughs> we got to do it differently. Um, but uh, yeah, so um, let's, where should we go with this? I mean, uh, I, there's, you know, what's funny is uh, our good friend Vincent Horn, literally as we started this thing, he posted a tweet there that uh, <coughs> uh, has a little two arrows and one says woke and anti-woke and on the top says meta awake. You know, so like so he was just thinking about like like getting out of this debate between woke and anti-woke yep. and then if we do that what does that mean how do we then talk about all the same issues when we're not just boiling it down to like some like debate between these two orientations because it's like if that's the case then all the issues are now like you're either on one side you're either either for uh you know combating racism or you're not it's right. just like right. there's not an option that's yeah, not exactly it's it's a it's not about the what it's about the how. It's like the how. yes, I want to combat racism, but guess what? I also want to preserve you know the First Amendment. I want yep. to preserve freedom of speech. I don't like censorship. I you know what I mean? There's a number of just because I agree with your values, and this is I think an important point. We need to learn how to identify, recognize, and even resonate really resonate with the values that are animating this stuff, right? Yep while dismissing the views, because a lot of the views are pre-green. A lot of, you know, the prescriptions that come out of the woke movement are pre-green, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we see massive regression uh, within woke sort of groups. We see, you know, regression mm -hmm. towards segregation. Segregation is actually uh, like yeah. an ideal now, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's getting absolutely preposterous. Mm. Um, in terms of where to go, you know, from here, you know, I think I wrote a piece recently uh, that I posted to Facebook that um, that that got a pretty positive um, response to it, and I was yeah, thinking maybe I could share that because yeah. this to me has been sort of um, a lever that I've been pulling for the last couple of weeks that has just given me sort of a little bit of clarity, and has helped me, um, you know, get green out of my shadow. And I'm hoping yeah. this frame can, you know, maybe do the same for others. So if you don't mind, can I just read? Yeah. This yeah. And can I, can I say one last thing? Be, yeah, to your, what you just said there before you get that? Yeah, of course. Um, for me, I was just going to be clear that like, I'm always going to take an imperfect green strategy over somebody who's not taking any strategy mm. towards some of these issues. So like if, if, if your values and strategy and goals don't arise at least to green, I'll still take green. And so this is why it's really important to me to, to identify, is this really a pre-green reaction or is it really an integral reaction? Okay. Um, so I don't need, I'm not going to, I don't have to resolve all the differences in, in, in that developmental response there. Like, because I'm just like, no, it's like, we at least need to minimally do this. And ideally, if we can do that in a better way, hell yeah. And I think it's going to be important that we do it in a better way because it really matters now. It's not just a theoretical ideal. Like we're re reaching roadblocks to where if we don't do it in a better way, we won't actually reach the outcomes. That's we'll right. just be debating and fighting uh, culturally and never get anywhere actually. But I do rank these, you know, I'm ranking them like, so at least has to rise to that kind of response. Well, that's, that's an integral skill set that I think actually denotes mature integral development. Yeah. This capacity to be intentionally, deliberately, skillfully partial. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. It's, it's, it's not like I refuse to do anything until the world lives up to my expectations, which is sort of this idealistic take that I think a lot of people do, which is actually super cynical because they're just removing themselves from the world and kind of, you know, lobbing bombs down from yeah, their, yeah, yeah. their little tree houses yeah. up in the clouds. And Basically, yeah, if you're not creating anything, if you're only deconstructing, 
just in general, like if it's only deconstructing, then that's not really useful for me because right. uh, we have to create something. So anyways, right. you brought that up for me. So yeah, go for- So how to get green there. out of our shadows. Um, so this has been a useful reframe for me and I just want to see how it feels for you, Ryan, and for our audience. Um, so the, the main, I think, lever here for me has been rather than thinking of the green altitude as postmodern, I've begun thinking about it as pre-integral. Hmm. There's something about that reframe that I very much like as it reminds us of our obligation to properly transclude the green altitude in our integral embrace and to get it out of our own shadow. I also think it might help better facilitate post-woke discussions like this one, hopefully, mm -hmm. while helping to remind the green altitude of what it is actually supposed to be. It seems to me that the majority of criticisms of green that I see on the internet are actually coming from a pre-green point of view rather than a post-green point of view, even maybe especially when the people making the criticisms think of themselves as being post-green. This gives us a better sense of the minimal deep structures that these criticisms need to include in order to qualify as post-green. A great number of important green terms, concepts, and deep structures are maintained and updated at the integral altitude. Concepts like pluralism, which, for example, ripens as integral methodological pluralism, as well as things like constructivism and perspectivism. Even its emphasis on identity is taken up again at the integral stage, which simply offers a broader spectrum of identity to draw upon beyond these flattened types all the way up to the supreme identity itself. Even mainstream concepts like intersectionality have a proto-integral basis to them. It's something like a flattened version of cosmic address, one that is based entirely upon types and I think is overdue for an upgrade from an intersectionality of identity to an intersectionality of perspective, which is something that I talked to Mark Fischler about in a previous episode of Integral Justice Warrior. Mm -hmm. And let's remember in terms of its overall structure of thought, the green altitude is described as early vision logic. It's very good at bringing all the perspectives to the table, but because it lacks a developmental point of view, it generally fails when it comes time to put those multiple perspectives together into a larger, broader, deeper coherence. So that like sort of simple trick of just thinking about green in a different way, not thinking about it as postmodern, as a reaction to modernity and therefore something that we're kind of pushing against mm -hmm. here with an integral, right? Mm -hmm. Rather it's pre-integral. This is sort of formatting your hard drive, right? In preparation for the, you know, the, the depth and the gradations of consciousness and, you know, the, the, the more mature, versions of vision logic that come online at the teal and turquoise altitudes. This has been massively helpful for me because again, it allows us not only to get green out of our own shadows, but it mm. also allows us to help green reclaim its own values, yeah, yeah. right? Like I've been talking with a buddy of mine and he's been saying, I have this great new strategy. When I'm talking to green people who are sort of infected by the woke virus, I simply try to remind them, hey, aren't you supposed to be pluralistic? <laughs> aren't you supposed to be capable of, of holding multiple views and values at one? Like that's the whole green thing, hmm. right? Hmm. And that's the first thing that wokeism kind of throws out the window. They take this, this fourth 
person perspective of, you know, all of our interlocking systems and their limitations and their historic karmas and all of that. Mm -hmm. They have a genuine fourth person perspective, cognitive point of view on these things. But when it comes time to, you know, take action and do something about it, it's all sort of mono perspectival. You know what I mean? Everything gets sort of reduced to like, no, this is the right way and everything else is the wrong way. There's nothing pluralistic about yeah. their view. Yeah. Their values are pluralistic, but yes. not their view. And w- therefore, that means that all of their efforts to achieve sort of their own goals, they're getting in their own ways, yep. well, right? Green values a, a type of harmony that green itself cannot achieve. Yeah, well, that's why I've said this before in the show, but it, it helped me clarify this in the similar way that like the languaging, like, you know, calling green pre-integral helps reframe it, especially if for anybody who sees themselves as integral, but has been very um, combative, you know, with, with green, it changes to say like, well, this is valuable because it's pre-integral. So I should want to take care of it, even if I'm going to be really critical, you know, uh, similarly for me, the, the framing of the value strategy and outcomes of saying those three, like, I just want to repeat that over and over, just like if on Twitter, like, differentiate your values, your strategy to enact those and the specific outcomes you think need to happen, you know, uh, to enact those values. And then if we can differentiate those three, we can look at effectiveness of strategies, but that gets collapsed. So that's what basically what you're saying there is it gets collapsed. Like to criticize a strategy is to criticize a value. It means you don't have the same value as me because you're criticizing my strategy. And then that's where just so many debates I see happening on Twitter with like woke, anti-woke, all this stuff is like, well, let's see, I want to identify, I share the value hundred percent with you, actually hundred percent. I don't share your strategy. I think your strategy is horrible, which it, you know, it depends, you know, it depends on what situation we're talking about, but if we can differentiate those three, the debate and conversation just goes downhill. It's really not even worthwhile in my opinion (laughs) to engage in that kind of conversation. That's right. Yeah, that's that's 100% true. And I think this actually gets us to, um, you know, when we talk about what is the sort of anatomy of the woke movement, because I think there's a lot of resistance, and I think rightfully so, to just sort of labeling wokeism as another green project. Because it's not, it's not just green. Like, yeah, they're, they've adopted green slogans and values, um, the type of things that you find on most college campuses around the country, right? Mm-hmm. All of those values are at least um, repeated as sound bites when it comes to the woke movement. However, the way those things are actually being enacted, it's being enacted in an amber way. I mean, this is a new kind of, you know, in many ways, a new kind of authoritarianism that's coming from the left. And it's not like, you know, oh, my God, authoritarianism on the left. I mean, this shouldn't be a big surprise to anybody. I mean, either wing can easily regress into autocracy, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We've got Hitler on one side. You got Stalin on the other. (laughs) Those are your guardrails for civilization, right? Um, So, I mean, it shouldn't be too surprising that, you know, that this sort of um, Marxist-informed uh, strategy that's animating wokeism would take on a few sort of totalitarian strategies of its own. Um, and I think that that's sort of the real problem that, that we're, that we're facing right now. Um, and the other problem that I've been repeating a lot, Ryan is simply, um, you know, when it comes to like identity politics and intersectionality and all that, it seems like a lot of the problems are coming from the fact that 
because people are not very aware that like growth and development is a thing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I think yeah, that absolutely. Growth and development stops at like high school or maybe yeah. college, you know? Yeah. Um, because that's not part of sort of the, you know, our cultural fabric. All we have to sort of suss each other out mm-hmm. are types. So we type yeah. each other endlessly. <laughs> right. And that's what intersectionality is. It's a, it's a, it's an intersectionality of types. What are your types? Well, you're, you're gay or you're straight or you're cisgendered or, you know what I mean? Or you're white or you're black or you're this ethnicity or that. And, you know, these types are immutable, right? Like um, this, I, I was just asked by John Dupuy. John Dupuy sent me an email and he goes, Corey, why do wokists suddenly hate Martin Luther King Jr.? <laughs> And I'm like, Rusev, I didn't realize they did. And then I researched it a little bit. And I'm like, no, a lot of locusts have issue with Martin Luther King Jr. Who Hmm. I see as like, you know, an integral leader before integral was a thing because he lived in all four quadrants simultaneously. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm a big fan. Yeah, absolutely. And my only guess, my response to John was, you know, my only guess here is because, you know, when he says that we should not judge each other based yes, on the color right. of our skin, but the content of our character, well, guess what? The color of your skin is a lot more noticeable, more yeah. immutable, whereas character yeah. that requires development. People don't know development exists. Yeah. Instead, it's, oh, you were the type of person who mm. could say something racist 20 years ago. Therefore, you are still the type of person who would say something racist. There's no sense of progress or development or like, yeah, for sure. 20 years ago, and hopefully we got better. Yeah, that's probably one of the biggest ones there is just like um, no sense of a path forward, right? You know, of like, okay, you know, just be really transparent. Like, okay, just like in our justice system, it's like, what are you, you're being arrested. What for? Okay, well, what are the charges? Okay, here's a trial and, and here are the different results that this trial could end in and here are the different punishments and here's how you redeem yourself after serving your 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 punishment and here are your rights afterwards you know all these things we have built into our justice system oftentimes culturally speaking (laughs) you know uh, a green sometimes green responses can lack a lot of that where it's just like brutal you know um like in terms of the response quickly and again i'm still going to say that like I'm going to take a response over no response to injustice in a, in a certain way, unless as long, so long as it doesn't cause an equal or greater injustice, you know what I mean? So, and, and I'd get like, we have to say, well, how do we know that? And I'd be like, that's a great question. And like, we'd, we'd have to look at situations and that's where we'd have a debate. Like, how are we, how do we expose our thought process? Right. And this is an integral thing too, to like, to, to know that we have a subjective structure of mind that is, interpreting everything that we, we are, are viewing, but like to expose that and say, well, let's look at that, you know? Right. Um, but that definitely is one thing that I keep saying, like, if we don't have that, we're going to stall out a little bit in our progress towards these green values. If we don't have a sense of like prioritization on, on, on crimes, actual legal crimes or cultural, you know, mm-hmm. uh, rules that uh, cultural norms, you know, we have to know like, what are they in, what's a sense of, of redemption in that whole process? Um, which is ironic because we have such a, a thing in uh, on the left about supporting rehabilitation, you know, in prisoners. Right. Uh, like we have that sense with prisoners, but it's really funny if you look culturally and you go by Twitter and stuff, there's no sense of that, you know, a lot of, uh, wow. many times. <laughs> no, I mean like things like prison rape are still um, an acceptable cultural joke. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. As an example. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So I mean, what's interesting is like, 
and I'm sure um, you all are talking about uh, uh, this and the other shows, like more specific situations. Here, we're, we're, we're kind of unpacking a little bit like how we all orient to the various situations that are unfolding in the country and the world, uh, focused on that versus like any particular situation. Although, you know, honing in on particular situations can make it a, much easier to see our habitual responses and, and right. you know, and to actually debate what, what the response should be to what's going on. Well, that's why I wanted to bring the topic into this show, Ryan, not only because you're brilliant and I want your, you know, (laughs) about that, but I'm happy to talk. (laughs) But but also, this is an opportunity, I think, an invitation to not just sort of talk about these values, but to genuinely inhabit them. Yeah. Right. To really try to resonate with, um, you know, the, the, the healthiest version of the green values, even the healthiest version of the amber values that have infected wokeism. Because, you know, I know that I've been saying for Jesus 20 years now mm-hmm. that the Democrats need more Amber, <laughs> right? Like yeah. they need to figure out how to straighten their spines and they need to figure out how to like, like toe the line together. That's something mm-hmm. that the Republicans have just nailed. And mm-hmm. you know, the Republicans are really good at getting on message. The mm-hmm. Democrats tend to be, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. sort of uncomfortable coalitions and all that. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit more difficult to get Democrats in line. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been saying for years, like, I want more Amber, but I want, you know, a healthy Amber. I don't want the healthy, left to, yeah. to surrender patriotism, for example, to the right. right. I don't want the left to surrender the concept of, of a moral majority <laughs> to the right. I mean, mm. you know, there are obviously critically important Amber values and institutions, which unfortunately have been deconstructed by the left over the last 50 to 60 years, which has, you know, in many ways resulted in the world that we live in today. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the left is is not <laughs> faultless here. They're not just sort of the victims being like, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, no, they, you you created the conditions of oppression uh, just as much as anybody else. And now we have to find another way forward another way forward mm-hmm. and hopefully yeah. it's a way forward that sort of cuts through these culture war wedge issues that we're all gathering. totally totally yeah and you know what's interesting too is like again prioritizing like my priority in recent years the current makeup of the republican party and democratic party no contest for me i want democrats you know con- uh, controlling as of right now i get the constituent you know just it's just how it is it's not even a developmental thing it's just this is how the government is all the different faults in our democratic structures and things like that that's where we go with so but i have plenty of criticisms of, of democrats but it, it wouldn't it, it's not on equal level for me in that sense of like as of right now i do think about the future of like how is this going to unfold and at one day i might very well feel very differently you right. know um and it all matters about how we're how we're playing out our politics now, you know. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's interesting. Of like, you know, it would be good for Democrats to own the the moral authority to which they really we, we express. It's like, no, this is a better way to be uh, to be ethical and to treat other human beings. And right. we think you should follow suit. Like to own that out loud. In which case, it would be more authority, not authoritarianism, you know, in the, in the culture. I think that's the difference there, mm-hmm. but as an interesting point you bring up because like to not just really own the authority that's already happening or that we're, we're embodying, you know, um, then it, then it uh, gives that away as a vacuum to, to another party to, to try to hijack yep. that, you know, yep. 
And so these are these weird little issues where it's like, we have to be, I, have, I think we have to be careful in prioritizing them of like the situation, what's going on, but to realize that some of these things are really issue, like the, the dead deadlock, you know, even that there's a tie in the Senate right now, it's still pretty darn limiting right now. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, and we, we don't really know, is it going to be like this in the next election? Is it going to flip back? Are we going to be just doing this for five years, 10 years? We don't really know. And so, that, and that scares me because like, I don't, who, 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 on any side of the party, who wants it to be 50-50? No, nobody wants it to be 50-50. And so, like, it's like, man, it could be kind of like that for a while unless we shift some things. And we need things to shift. I don't think there's very many people who think, ah, this is all, everything is great in the world. Right. Who says that? Nobody. So we can all get on the board and say, say, hey, we're all in agreement that we don't like things. And having a 50-50 split sucks. So what are we going to do, you know? And that's and that's the rub, right? What do yeah. we do? Because I I remain convinced that um, there's nothing we can do, other mm-hmm. than other mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. invent new platforms in the lower right mm-hmm. for this type of discourse. Because I think yeah. all of this is an inevitable product of our technologies and sort of the condition of the discourse itself. Yeah, it's, it's very um, true. There's a, lot, there's a lot of this stuff that's been flowing from the top down, for sure. I mean, we can look at, uh, you know, Newt Gingrich in the 90s, and we can look at, um, you know, what's his name, Grover Norquist. I mean, we can talk about sort of, you know, the radicalization that's been happening in the upper echelons, but all of that gets sort of recapitulated on social media and worsened on social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, and I really do think that so much no, of the tribalization. I, I mean, look, yeah. QAnon never would have gotten out of the gate. Oh, no, I know. No, this is a good This is a good example. And I've made, uh, I know at some point in time, I made kind of the joking about this, where it's like a long time ago, if you had a kooky neighbor spouting off stuff, you'd be just like, shut up, Bob. Nobody's listening. Yep. And that'd be the end of it. But you're on social media it's like damn bob he said some good stuff like it's like boom press the button and everybody in the world knows about it so it's undeniable that like how greased up and instantaneous in the the, the limitations of social media is part of the factor you yeah. know 100 percent. yeah well and the yeah. other thing too is you know i want to agree with you you made it you made an important point which is um i don't want to make the 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 perfect into the enemy of the good i'll take something even if it's flawed over nothing Right. And I, and I hear that point. And I, I largely agree with that point. I would say like nine times out of 10, I agree with that point. Well, I had the, I had the additional part on there. So long as it doesn't cause equal or greater harm. And that's the one out of 10. Right. Yeah. So I think for example, um, at the black lives matter protests mm-hmm. and um, some of which did become violent, we mm-hmm. did have looting. We yeah. did have arson. We did have yeah. people getting hurt in the streets. This stuff. I mean, this is reality. This stuff happened. I don't think it's fair to characterize the entire protest movement based on, you know, that violence. However, the protest movement itself didn't do a very good job of distancing itself and denouncing that kind of. Instead, we started seeing think pieces about, you know, uh, the right to riot and how rioting is actually a healthy expression. And this is a fine, you know, tactic when it comes to uh-huh. uh, creating social change. And, you know, I can even make partial room for that because I've asked the question before, you know, I've, I've, I've invoked John F. Kennedy when he says that, you know, those who make peaceful social 
revolution impossible make violent revolution inevitable. I'm sensitive to that, that like there's only yeah. so much pressure a system can take without changing before yeah. things go violent. Yeah, yeah. I'm always an advocate for no, change the system before it gets violent, yeah. right? Because that yeah. violence is gonna be inevitable. However, when that violence does erupt, we need to see a wave of leadership that we have not seen on the left. This is, I think, one of the left's big Achilles heel right now is that yeah. it is completely decentralized. They take decentralization as a as a core value oftentimes, mm. right? Yeah. And that decentralization, we saw it with the Occupy Wall Street movement, no strong leadership came out of that. Meanwhile, look at the Tea Party. Those guys took over the GOP, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah right. This leadership emerged out of their movement on that side of the road. Whatever yeah, yeah. criticisms we might have about that movement, it produced results. And yeah. we don't see the same type. We don't see the new Martin Luther King Jr. emerging, right? And, and, and actually making a case for nonviolent resistance. Well, you know... I think probably with that, I mean, just one thing that comes to my mind is like the it's it's bizarre because um, you know, on one hand, say you know, green and integral really necessarily embraces a universality, right? A world centrism. Um, but in 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 green, you know, there's an emphasis on recognizing the very real differences that exist to not wash over them, to not you know, do like say Black Lives Matter and then all lives matter. No, no, we have to understand the differences that exist, but there's so much interest on uh, emphasis on differences that sometimes our universal connection is lost, which can be, is a glue, you know? Um, and, and I know it's a balance because you can't just go like, oh, well, we'll just only do universal solutions and not have any custom-made solutions to address the real imbalances, no. But yeah, if we lose some universality there, it's gonna be dif difficult to unify enough uh people you know one thing i want to say a couple you 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 brought up actually many of these points but you know with the black lives matter protests and the violence that's one of those things where i'm like well i, I wouldn't necessarily rank it as like it caused more harm than uh, uh than good i i don't i don't arrive at that conclusion necessarily you know what i mean um that doesn't mean that there's not criticisms and an analysis of there of like what was good and what was bad but just sort of, you know like the, if I do an, uh, an equation, I don't go, that was horrible. And it was, you know, it, it should never have happened. You know, I'm like, well, it happened and here's the conclusion for it. And, but you brought up a good point, um, you know, about acknowledging systems, broken systems resulting in violence if they're not fixed. And we have the, that's the bigger point here to me. So when I watch last month, I mean, seriously, I'm just like, I, beyond being theoretical and integral of this, that, and the other. I'm just like looking at the news. I'm seeing public mass shootings literally every other day. I'm seeing the, uh, uh, you know, African-Americans being shot by police every other day. And I get, I'm not even talking about statistics. It's just like, what I'm seeing is too much. It's just too much. Yeah. It's just like, it's like, it's broken and and no amount of discussion from people as a, as a society. Like if you take polls and like what people agree on at majority, none of it's having an effect. Okay. Like it's at a point where it's like nothing we're doing having an effect. And I'm not saying like, let's get violent. I'm just saying like, I'm just not gonna be surprised if, if shit gets violent because all of the normal means to try to enact change through our existing systems isn't working. And I'm just saying that's a, that's a fact. Like it's just not working. Like, and I, I, uh, I wish it would work. And I just watched a video yesterday. I didn't know much about Romania. And I watched a video about the Romanian dictator from, I think it was like nineties or eighties. Um, and he went just crazy. I mean, he's already crazy, like dictator, but he went off the deep end to where everybody turned on him. 
it was like it was inevitable so like the military turned on him they they arrested him and his wife in their 70s put him on trial quickly gave them execution and took him right outside and shot him with machine guns on video they videotaped the entire trial the execution to show to all the people because stuff had gotten so crazy bad that they were like this is where they were like ended up and you watch it you can't feel good watching it you're like oh my god this is horrifying that like you're just mowing mowing a couple people in their 70s down and and of course they did horrific stuff mm-hmm. and so it was inevitable so always like it was inevitable because it was allowed to get to that point and it's horrifying so it's just like you know that's an extreme example but i'm just like so what are we going to do collectively to try to prevent things to get to violent levels rather than just crit- criticizing the violence when it arises you know I think I, I think you, you you just put your finger on something really really important. The fact that we have like you know take gun violence for example, yeah. The fact that we have you know upwards of like eighty percent agreement in this country across political divides around some of these solutions, right? Eighty somewhere around eighty percent of people agree that we should have background checks, agree that we should eliminate gun show loopholes. Agree, you know what I mean? There's agree in some sort of registry. Agree that we need to, um, you know, get firearms out of the hands of mentally ill people. I mean, there's a lot of agreement when it comes to these issues. Now, we can have an argument over whether any of these is actually going to have any effect on the rates of gun violence out there. And I think there's probably strong arguments to be made on either side of each one of those. But the fact that we have such collective buy-in on a certain set of solutions and none of those solutions get enacted because we have a system that's clearly removed from us right and has an over resilience to change the fact that i mean this is this is this is an unstoppable force hitting an unmovable wall this is exactly right it's exactly right and it's something that I'm just saying as a fact, like if you're just saying like, I'm just going to take a sociological observation here as dispassionate as, as one could do, people are not going to continue accepting nothing changing. That's, That's all right. I say. People are not going to accept nothing changing. And so regardless of whatever we say in terms of like a disconnect, you know, detached conversation, watch for something to happen. It, the scales will tip and some shit's going to go down. Either it's going to be done through healthy collective democratic means or it's going to happen through violence or it's going to happen through something but something's going to happen people just it's just not going to stay it's not going to tolerate nothing in 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 a, in a gridlock culturally and democratically i want to bring up one thing because i saw this in the comments about people were talking about ubis and ubi is something i've talked about before as an example of something that i would personally really support and as an example of something that could be great starting points to heal the cultural divide mm. so um I was seeing some comments in there about universal basic income being a great solution because it impacts everyone. So it's universal. And I agree. It's really good. It affects everybody who's especially impoverished. What I will say is it's not going to impact everybody in the equal manner because there's disproportionate amount of people impoverished in this country. Not everybody's impoverished equally, you know, across racial divides and different uh, uh, identities, you know, Mm -hmm. but it's a great solution because it's like if it's really universally impacted, then everybody who's it it helps everybody, especially at the in the poverty level, lower level income. But it really impacts strongly, for example, the African-American community. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt that it would impact that community to greater proportions, (laughs) 
you know? So it's, it's a really lovely solution. I also love things like infrastructure. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I haven't looked at detail Biden's infrastructure plan, but like ideas around infrastructure that could help address many issues that give, could give a lot of jobs. It could give it a lot of jobs across the board and rural areas and for populations that are lacking jobs, you know? So I, I tend to lean towards that kind of that solution, you know, of let, it's low hanging fruit. That's what I would say. I'm not saying it's like, this is the best thing we should do. We should absolutely uh, do this over everything else. But I'm just like, it's, it, it's like no brainer stuff to me. Like do the things that would universally impact everybody, but uh, in a positive way, disproportionately help people who really, really need it. It's, and let's just do it. And, 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 yeah, and how and political formula, do popular things. <laughs> yeah. Popular. Yeah. Yeah. And for example, we know that like right now, there's an artificial, there are artificial obstacles built into our governance system right now that don't reflect the, the people. It just, you know, whether like the operating system just needs updated because it's like, what operating system doesn't need updated? Who would use any operating system for a computer from 1980, let alone 200 some years ago? What do you, <laughs> you mean, know? man? I'm on, I'm on Windows me right now. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Right. So it's like, you know, there, there's obstacles that are like getting in the way from us doing probably some things that we would collectively just choose to do. Right. Um, but I would at least want to do the, the low hanging fruit stuff. Yeah. You know? yeah, and no, there I, seems like a lot that are really good that would have serious impact around a lot of values that people really care about. Yep. Two things I want to say. So first yeah. I want to respond to your comment that um, you wouldn't say the violence uh, that occurred during the BLM movements uh, overly damaged the, the BLM movement itself. Um, I agree if we're talking about people on the left who already agree with the main values of BLM. I think the problem with the violence is that, um, especially the lack of response on the left around the violence, the problem that it created was it allowed like roughly half the population of this country to completely delegitimize and disavow Black Lives Matter altogether. So a baby was lost in the bathwater there. Maybe, I mean, like, I, I, I think that's like, I would agree with you, that's a, it's a good thing to look at. And that certainly happened to a certain degree. As far as like, to what degree that did it, like, it, I think it would be like a little bit pulling out of thin air. Was it 50% of people? Was it 25% of people? I don't know whether that's the case. That's why I like for me, I don't, <clears throat> I can't draw the line and say definitively, like it was worse than it did better because there's the black life movement, which like, what is the movement? Is it all the people who use the hashtag? Because if I just say like people who made say like, I wasn't a movement, I wasn't posting on social media, but I'm black, you know, like, I don't know that my uncle Eddie was on, on uh, who's black. I was on social media posting it, but how did he feel like how did people who didn't are identified concretely with the movement did it yeah. positively impact their lives and where they feel like hey finally somebody's got my back you know even though so anyways i'm not saying like again we gotta we gotta unpack it all in a nuanced way and call what is good good and call what is bad bad yep. that all still stands right so like all the criticism stand i agree with you like there was bad messaging like going right to defund the police was like like we lost all that. I mean, changes were actually happening until you did that. I mean, it's all again, it's 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 the one of the first points you made in this show. It's all about sort of the semiotics of social transformation. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's I, it's just about language. They're messaging yeah. I'm not I'm all about like completely revamping radically police departments. That means looking at budget, unpacking what services they do, limiting that, like totally revamping everything. So I'm not a opposed to radically but like the messaging like you brought up many times because the game is to make certain words as radioactive as you possibly can yeah that was that was probably the most damaging to me in the sense of like this 
this police thing is a real issue. Like to me, it is an issue. It's like, it needs to be addressed. We had buy-in on the left and the right. Yeah, it, it needs a big time. Yep. Um, but yeah, we got to look out for those messages, right? Yep. UBI. I want to now shift over to UBI because um, I love UBI. I mean, I'm a big fan of um, UBI. I think it's really, really challenging to create a system that works, right? Um, I think that that's a huge challenge, but I do think something like universal basic income should replace the safety net that we currently have because the safety net that we currently have has has holes in it and people fall through those holes every damn day. And I think something like a UBI is a way to tighten up that net you know, totally. it fits in yeah. with my overall political philosophy. And I want to be clear here too, that whenever I'm talking about politics, I try to discern between sort of three different styles of, of, of talking about it. There's political philosophy, right? How this all looks on paper, <laughs> right? Yeah. Then there's like political reality, which never looks like what you just wrote down on paper. Yeah, right. <laughs> Right. And that political reality is, is, you know, the constituents, what do the voters think? How are the voters behaving? Um, You know, what do they support? What don't they support? What are the values, views, et cetera. And then there's the actual specific social holons of like the Mm. democratic party and the GOP itself. Mm. And we can, you know, I mean, there's never a straight line that goes from political theory into the constituency. That's, you know, you always lose some signal. Yeah, totally. Each of those steps. So I want to be, you know, if, if we're sitting here talking and we're like, for example, shitting on the GOP, that doesn't mean we're shitting on conservative values. I have many of them myself. No. Well, that's why I said earlier about like, how the party is currently this is i don't want to confuse the label republican democrat with any developmental uh structures or values like we can now uh analyze them both but like it's just the current makeup of it is just what it is like like if we're talking typologically like typologically liberal typologically conservative then i'm like there should always be a nice creative tension with that at least if we're not and that's just saying that there's only two there you know like whether alone you know but the current makeup like and and what's enacted is just like an express is like that's a different thing that's right yeah (laughs) when we're talking political philosophies we can talk about these things as polarities that we want to manage and we want to integrate when it comes to social holons those are not polarities we don't manage and integrate social holons these things don't just fit together the way for example you would see on uh, yeah yeah philosophy. so speaking of political philosophy my own political philosophy i call myself a uh and people kind of laugh at this i call myself a maslow socialist or if that triggers you <laughs> i'm yeah. a maslow capitalist and what that basically means is let's socialize the bottom rungs of maslow's hierarchy and the good news here guys is most of them already are right we just have to complete yeah. the circuit yeah. but i think that how is it shelter food, basic needs here, guys, water, I mean, education, right? All of these things are like exist in the first two or three levels of Maslow's hierarchy. I think Mm. that needs to be collectivized. I think that we have a social obligation to each other to provide these things for each other so that we can have a more healthy, vibrant, uh, and equitable society as a result. Um, and then capitalism is for those basically mid to high rungs, right? That's where you get your self-esteem needs. That's where you get, you know what I mean? But you're not going to get your, you're not going to get your belongingness needs met in a capitalist structure, 
Um, as we've seen over the last 40 years of neoliberalism, which has completely eroded the private sphere. And I yeah. think my own philosophy, my own theory here is that that has created, that has generated all of these mental illnesses that we're mm -hmm. seeing whenever someone brings a gun into a school or into yeah. Walmart and starts mowing everybody down. A well, big part of this yeah. is abandonment of the private sphere, which was an, 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 a, an unintentional byproduct of the feminist movement and women moving out of the private and into the public for the very first time. It's not like we had an equivalent number of men moving out of the public and into the private to keep that going. Instead, we just said, you know, fuck the private. I'm going to get all my needs met in the public, right? Mm -hmm. And we have I so, sort of conformed ourselves to this, to these, you know, the set of neoliberal ideals and values, including individualism and hyper competition, oh, yeah, uh, et cetera. Sure. We've taken this onto ourselves and we use that as a substitute gratification for genuine community and for the genuine type of belongingness and the intrinsic values that come from being part of a community. Yeah, right? this is a big deal for men in particular who have mm -hmm. a hard time feeling their intrinsic value, which is, you know, all we have is our extrinsic value. What is the value that we create for other people in our society? And this is why when men lose their jobs or lose their spouse, right, they're losing mm -hmm. their extrinsic value or their only source of intrinsic value, their marriage, mm -hmm. they kill themselves. Men tend to, you know, mm -hmm. kill themselves after either of those two big traumas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. occur to them. Men are particularly yeah. vulnerable to this because we don't have anything in society saying you are valuable just because of who you are, not because of what you do or what you mm. provide, but just yeah. simply being you, you are valuable and we see your value and you know, mm. yeah, um, that's missing these days. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I really like the Maslow example there and, and what you laid out too. I, I feel pretty similar, you know? Um, and I, and this is another reason why I like with um, languaging and linguistics, I tend to avoid certain terms like you know you said socialism social uh, uh what is it social democracy what is it the, the term there, there's yeah, socialist there's, there's social democrats and then there's democrats social democrats yeah so certainly there's a really important okay difference. yeah all these terms though like automatically bring up like past associations and versions of them so i'm like i got to use something completely different like that's why i prefer that would make a person have to think well what are you actually talking about because what you're talking about here is is like a combination an integral kind of approach this and this sounds really good and in terms of like other integral folks i've talked to this is kind of a general approach of like socialize some of it and then let other of it be free and open you know in 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 those ways um and you know what's interesting a couple of things like with the if you socialize finish polish which you already said we're already doing this in so many ways polish it make it really work uh for those bottom rungs well how many people are just gonna like you said just feel better how like they'll feel that they belong to something automatically because it's like well i'm taken care of and i don't have to stress about these particular things so it's easier for me to form relationships like that sets a foundation to where those other rungs can be done in a much easier fashion um and then you know with capitalism like we've talked a lot about like we're not talking about getting rid of capitalism but it needs an upgrade you know um, because if capitalism is impacting and intruding and impeding those bottom rungs then that's a no-go that's right. Because the top rungs sit on, on the bottom ones. Yep. So like, we just got to like, let's polish up the, those bottom rungs. Let's make sure that the top rung works well, but doesn't in, interfere and impact these lower rungs. And then well, let's see where we're at, you know, with that. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much aligned 
in, in that model you just gave. And you're totally right that these words have become radioactive. Both capitalism is now a radioactive term for some I understand. people and socialism is a radioactive term. It's part of just language. It's, it's understandable. Exactly. Like these words have too many reference points. Uh, okay. And so, yeah, it's hard to use them. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Really what we're asking for is a healthy, I mean, look, when it comes to integral politics, I mean, we already have the map here, right? We already see the main polarities that need to be integrated. Mm. We need to integrate interior causation with exterior causation. Sometimes you suffer because the system is stacked against you. Sometimes you suffer because you lack interior values mm -hmm. and work ethic, etc. Both mm. are true both are true. Again, this is what made Martin Luther King Jr. such an amazing leader was that he had prescriptions in all four quadrants. Yeah, all totally. Quadrants. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes, the system is stacked against you. That's why character is so important. And you have a higher bar to meet because mm. the system is stacked against you. Yeah. And I know you can do this. I know you can live up to that bar, right? Yeah. That was a style of leadership that mm. integrated interior and exterior. Yeah. We're also talking about integrating individual and collective. I'm a big fan of individualism. I'm yeah. a big fan of privacy. Absolutely. I'm a big, you know what I mean? These are, these yeah. are genuine virtues that need to be preserved. I'm also a big fan of helping people who need help. I'm a big fan of, of never denying a little girl, you know, uh, surgery because of how the insurance network is stacked. Yeah, huh. I, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm, I'm, you're sick of seeing these um, horrible shootings every day. You know what I'm sick of seeing? I'm sick of seeing these dystopian stories reframed as like feel good human interest stories. Like, oh, right. like yeah. you know, like a uh, fourth grader raises, you know, $6,000 to pay off the school lunch debt for her classmates. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so yeah, that yeah. The state wouldn't take them from their parents. And everyone's like, yeah. Oh, what an amazing little girl. And it's like, no, that's fuck the type of system that produces these results in the first yeah, place. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. Yep. See it all the time. And go, you know, GoFundMe stories are often like that, where it's just like, like on one hand, it's like, well, thank goodness that person was able to get that money to, to help, you know, deal with, uh, you know, health care costs or planning a funeral, you know, and, and mm -hmm. dealing with that. But it's like, holy shit. It's just like, then you got to think of like, I hope, hope you win, win, win a draw and, and be able to get a GoFundMe campaign when you need sure. it because there's not many other options, right? Dude, I it's feel really this in my, in my heart. I mean, when, yeah. when my little girl got sick, when she got diagnosed and we realized she needed a liver transplant, we yeah. did a GoFundMe. Right. And like Ken Wilber yeah. was nice enough to write a letter, uh, a whole list I could send yeah. out and yeah. how people showed up for my family. I remember like, that. Yeah. I'm so indebted to this community for the way they showed up to my family. And now, you know, my daughter has a bank account that can only be used for medical expenses. Mm. Right. That's the stipulation of the fundraising that we did. Yeah. And that's going to last her. So if anything happens, if she needs so good. another transplant down the line and yeah. insurance, she has, you know, something yeah. to kind of fall back on. That's and awesome. That, that, I mean, that was huge for me. Yeah. And I know in, in a community of families dealing with nightmares that are worse oh. than ours, we got the best case scenario of a worst case scenario, right? There are other families who are dealing with... <laughs> much worse case scenarios than we did. And yep. these people don't uh, have access no, to a network of big hearted, big brained people who yeah. care about each other, right? I had an opportunity. I had a privilege 
by being in this community that most other people, the vast yeah. majority of other people in the situation don't have. And I get pissed off that I live in and to whatever extent I do, I support a society yeah. that produces these results. Yeah. hundred percent, man. hundred percent. Well, and, you know, kind of tying this to circle back around of like prioritizing problems and like, you know, uh, that, looking for something versus nothing, not doing anything so long as not causing greater harm. Mm -hmm. I think what's what I'm just seeing more and more is that saying it a different way, the gross nature of the problems are increasing to such a degree that it overshadows the subtle, the more subtle or nuances that I might debate in addressing those gross problems. So if we go to a fire, if there's a fire in the trash can outside, okay, you know, it's like it's in a trash can, but if, if that fire spreads to the garage and then the garage is like if the whole, you know, like my, my reaction changes to how intense the problem is where I'm just like, I'm going to debate nuances less and less and less because it's just like one way or another, we got to solve the gross problem, even if we're, we have valid criticism. So this is like a constant thing that we're feeling into and it fluxes, you know, like I said, I think a lot of us feel some relief, uh, you know, we say the pandemic is, going in, in a direction of lightening up and opening up. And so we're feeling a fire being put out, you know, but then we see news stories like this, like every other day. And then sometimes that feels like the problem is those problems are growing in intensity. So I just want to put that out there that like to not acknowledge like different levels of intensity to me is one, not, not very integral. <laughs> the, it's not skillful. It's yeah. just not, it's not going to be skillful. It's not effective. And that's going to impact the conversation. Like, before we even start talking about the details of how to respond to things, it impacts it for me. That's and right. I know that there's going to be some subjectivity to that. And then we have to look at like, how do we, how do we talk about evidence and facts around a situation such that we're going to interpret all these things, you know, that's right. play out, but yeah. Yep. Well, I also want to speak to, you know, a few things that make me hopeful. Yeah. At least more hopeful. I'm, I, I'm actually more hopeful about, where wokeism is heading than I am about where, for example, QAnon is heading. And the only reason for that, again, I see them as largely equivalent in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, I see them as largely equivalent. However, the reason why I'm hopeful is that I simply see more pushback on the left mm -hmm. against yeah. some of this. Totally. I've seen that too. Um, you know, you see it in, in more leftist media. You see it now, you know, I want to kind of punctuate that point in a moment. Um, but on the right, you know, there was a study that came out of Forbes, Forbes magazine. Um, I don't know if they did the study or they just sort of publicized it, but um, apparently 65% of self-identifying conservatives, uh, GOP voters, 65% of them believe in some or all of QAnon. This to yeah, me remember. is um, a, a big problem. Yeah. <laughs> right. A really big problem. Yes. Wokeism, meanwhile, on the left, here's what's weird about it. Here's and I do think this is weird. There's something asymmetrical about this. Um, there have been studies and I can't I don't have them in front of me right now, unfortunately. But the studies show that the people on the left, well, the people in this country who actually have who share the same values as the wokeists, it's a pretty small margin. It's like 10 to 12 percent of people or something like that. I have to refresh my stats here. Um, if it's wildly different, I'll point it out uh, in the in the notes below. But um, I believe it's something, or you know, uh, south of fifteen percent. Hmm. And yet, 
they're having such in making such enormous waves in academia, which makes sense. That's where all the young people are, right? They're all kind of clustered together. So it kind of makes sense that the lunatics would take over the asylum at some point, Mm -hmm. Uh, but also in pop culture and Hollywood and, you know, even in journalism. So it's weird that they're having a, a sort of asymmetrical impact in our culture when not really so many people actually no, 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 totally. Yes. You know? and yep. Part of me, Ryan, I actually, my, my theory for this is I actually think a lot of this is, um, is sort of the, the, the dog is being wagged <laughs> from the yeah. top down by corporations because every 20 or so years, all the major corporations go into this like panicked frenzy where they have to figure out how to communicate to a new generation. Yeah, totally. You see it with Coke, you see it with Gillette, with Nike. I mean, all these big corporations. And I think that this is their sort of cynical way of trying to talk to new generations so that they can get their money. They use woke language and then that- That's 100%. That's why I never, that's why I'm never like, oh, wow, Coke did this thing. I'm like, for sure. Like if they're doing things that that cause less harm in the messaging and that has- a positive impact for sure. I can acknowledge that, but I'm not going to like impart upon them some interior consciousness of like, of why they're doing it. I'm like, and listen, sometimes a corporation has the interiors to match it. I'm not going to say that's never the case, but I'm just like, I'm not like, they're like, it's like, what gets the money? Oh, the survey says, well, this is our message. I don't care. Like it'll make the money, you know? And they'll, and that includes actions like, well, this is the action we need to do because otherwise we lose too much market share or whatever. Like, exactly. Come on. Exactly. Our competitors <laughs> will, will, will message right. to these people better yeah. and later lunch. You know, yeah, that's absolutely. So there, I think there is that sort of cynical, I mean, hey, capitalism, right? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> Should we open things up and- uh, Yeah, let's do that because uh, we're getting to towards my, uh, I got to go pee <laughs> time. So uh, this dude always has to pee. Well, I'm drinking so many liquids. I'm dripping pound like Topo Chico and espressos over here. Didn't you pee in the shower right before you came? Always. <laughs> but you know. Hey, you got to keep your feet clean somehow. Madonna taught us that. <laughs> yeah, if anyone has any questions, Phyllis, I know you had a question earlier. Uh, if you still want to ask it, raise your hand uh, or hit the Q&A button and type something in. We'll respond to it. And, you know, I guess one of my questions for you guys, which maybe you guys can respond to is, does this reframing help you at all? I mean, does does talking about this in terms of um, you know a post woke frame is that helpful? Is it helpful helpful for you to think of green as pre integral rather than post modern? I don't know why it's been so helpful for me, but it just it has been. Again, I think because a lot of these terms have become radioactive. If a term if if a word is sitting in your shadow, it naturally has some radioactivity to it. And my sense is that for a lot of us here in Integral Land, there's some green terms that we probably want to uh, take back and reintegrate. Yeah, I think like what's interesting is I think I'm now that we have this conversation, I think I'm noticing that amongst some of my closest Integral friends is that seeing us try to find a way to pointedly make some criticisms, but like to reframe things in a way that's constructive, that's useful, that brings the conversation forward without like not just suck the wind out of it and deconstruct it, you know what I mean? And, yep. and nothing else. Um, yep. So that's really good. I mean, and so like, there could be other ways of framing it that could be positive that brings the conversation forward. And so that's one thing I would encourage everybody here to do is like, okay, Corey and I threw out a few, but like, maybe you have another way that like helps you embrace, transcend and include what is needed and carry it forward, you know, to care for the spiral. <laughs> that's right. 
Well, that's, you know, I think that, that, that's another point I often make, Ryan, is that, you know, when we when we get to the teal altitude, now this is messy and we're never like at any particular. Yeah, yeah right, right, right. But let's just use the shorthand. When we're at a teal altitude, this is the first time that we take on all previous stages as part of our own anatomy, right? Yeah. This is, this is what the momentous leap is all about. It's no longer my stage up against everybody else's. It's now my stage and this symphony of altitudes that come before me, any of which have unique wisdoms and yeah. skills that I can draw upon. And yeah. if you are at the teal or turquoise altitude and you still have a green allergy, you're still keeping green somewhere in your unconscious, yeah. that's like walking around with your head cut off. Because that green is part of your anatomy, right? And if you deny it, you're denying one of the highest stages of your own being. So that's why I always try to, you know, invite people to take a look at their green shadows, see if they have any residue there that they want to Mm -hmm. clean up and re- Yeah, Yeah. and I was going to have another response here, but then I saw the question pop up and I, I would share that this response to this question. <laughs> you want me to read the question? Yeah, sure. Okay, so Wheaton says, uh, love the conversation and it makes sense to see the worldviews the way you are expressing them. What I don't see is how to integrate or build a bridge to is that the different worldviews no longer just have different values. They now have different facts. How do you get through that? That's, yeah. I, yes. The, the first thing I was going to say, yeah, it was that like, if... I would say all of us, but if I'll, I'll be tone it down a little bit, if most all of us don't have a lot of questions and some confusion about what to do, I call bullshit because it's like, if you're sitting there thinking like, I got all the things figured out, I have all the answers to all the problems, like, then you're part of the problem, you know? And so like, I, I sit with plenty of questions. I'm like, I don't know. That's why, like, if we talk about actual strategy, then I go, well, here's some things I think, but I, I you know, I don't know. Like we need to figure it out together. Um, so like, this is one of those questions of like, yeah, that's a good question. And we can have some responses to it, um, the, some thoughts, but it's actually a really tough one. I think mm-hmm. that's the, that's the, just identifying that is really useful to me. Like that's a thing that needs to be identified clearly. If we were all just identifying that, we'd be in a different situation because we'd be responding differently. We'd be like, well, we're aware of this. So at least we're not going to do things that come from a place of not acknowledging all these different developmental rungs and different ways of understanding the world, interpreting and making facts. That's right. At least we're not doing those things. But as far as figuring it out, I mean, the only example I see, Corey, is going back to children. Like we have lots of evidence for up till basically 18 years old, mm-hmm. more or less about like, how do we raise and educate children through all the diff- different developmental rungs? We do it all the time. Yep. We understand that we're not going to give algebra, algebra problems to a kindergartner. That's right. And it's not because they just haven't filled their bucket up enough with information. It's just like, no way they can't com- comprehend it. So we say, what can they comprehend? Where's their developmental edge? How do we talk about issues to them? So we've done a lot of practice, at least in those environments of understanding development and responding. We just haven't done it as, as adults. That's right. You know, that's right. No, that, that, those are all really, really good points. And, you know, I just want to say, we, and I think that you put your finger on yeah, like the central question of our time right now, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready to do a show with Ken this weekend. Uh, we're, we're going to be talking about integral epistemology. And I mentioned that because you asked a question about epistemology. Really good, this is a really good question. question. Um, because it is true that we currently live in an epistemic breakdown, right? 
total and complete epistemic breakdown. Now, that is not to say that this is an altogether new problem. We've always had different sets of facts <laughs> yeah, totally, right. for different altitudes. I mean, Ryan, you just use the, 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 the you know, the, let's look at kids. Yeah. I mean, my second grade daughter is operating with a different set of facts than a sixth grader does. And they're yeah. operating with a different set of facts than a 12th grade. I mean, this is inevitable. Yeah. This is, I mean, Ken calls inevitable. this the myth of the given. There's no single given world out there that presents itself to us. Rather, we enact the world differently according to our cosmic address. And the first right. thing you said there sounded so pluralistic, so green. <laughs> right. <Ooh. laughs> Watch out, Corey. If you didn't put that tag at the end there, it wouldn't have been integral. Like This is a good <laughs> point, though, of like that green sets up that thing. Like there's not a given. That's a big deal. Like to say that everything's given. No, it's not given. That's right. So continue well, on. Continue well, on. <laughs> and the problem is that we've always had this condition of like multiple sets of facts that are sort of, you know, rubbing against yeah, each other. Yeah. But the problem, you know, what was different then previously let's just say throughout the 20th century was that we had media platforms that were curated. So of all those different kinds of facts, we sort of had referees that said, okay, this is more true than that. For better and worse. Exactly. There's plenty of negatives that come out of that. However, now (laughs) we live in an uncurated media space for the first time in human history, right? I mean, it used to be, 2000 years ago, the, the, the king and the queen and the church and the state, they would tell you what's, what's real. That was the epistemics yeah. of the time. This is what's real. This is what's not real. Um, you know, hit the industrial revolution. We had this, you know, uh, in the Renaissance itself, we had this, this new sort of journalism that was emerging. Now we have a different platform. Yeah. And this is, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'm going to say not a pre-integral platform. We, we have a post-modern platform <laughs> yeah. that is actually deconstructing our, you know, sort of epistemic fabric in real time. So we no longer have curators. We no longer have a platform that has any enfoldment mechanism in it whatsoever. Instead, yeah. we're all sort of the curators now. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, we're not qualified. We're not qualified to be those curators because every <laughs> single one of us, some more than others, yeah. but every single one of us is in an informational silo of some kind. Mm-hmm. Every single one of us is subject to Google's algorithms, YouTube's <laughs> algorithms, Facebook's yeah. algorithms, all of which subtly and not so subtly distort our perception of reality Every for every single one of us. So yeah. we're all sort of swimming (laughs) in these choppy waters together. And I remain convinced that it's not, we will self-organize our way out of this because Mm. this is the central life condition, I think, that is going to make integral relevant in the first place. How do we sort through all of these broken and competing epistemologies? How do we pull this all together into something new, bigger, deeper, wider? That is the, it's hard, hard of the challenge here. It really is. Yeah. Um, and I and I do think that self-organization is largely, well, it's going to come from a few different areas. I'm hoping we see it in the lower right with new platforms. I have yes. no idea what those platforms look like. I have no idea. I can't imagine them right now. Same, but, same. But I know they will emerge. Same, right? yep. And hopefully having conversations like this along the way as like mm. a series of breadcrumbs, yeah. I'm hoping that this acts as attractor points 
just simply to let people know there's yeah. another space in which we can have these conversations. And that space doesn't need to be as reactive as yeah. every other space you find out there. Yeah. Right? So I'm yep. hoping that like by us coming together in the lower left, by you asking this amazing question, Wheaton, and hopefully us giving you a semi-satisfactory response, that all of this is actually creating a field. And that field is going to act as sort of a natural attractor for more conversations like these, so that when this new platform inevitably does come along, we're ready for it and we can select for it because we've already been having the conversations along the way. That's great. I feel that. I, I, I love it, man. Well, I think that's a, for me, a, a great way to cap this, this off that summary you made Corey, because uh, this, that question was really at the heart of the, a lot of this. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think we're going to make it there. I think so. There, I'll, I'll just like, read, I'll just read, we can just responded to us. So yeah. we'll, we'll close with his words. Cool. Wheaton says, thanks guys. Great viewpoints. Yes. Media did used to help us agree in many facts. Now each media outfit outlet uh, promotes their own facts. It's amazing to switch from CNN to Fox, just a different world. It yeah. really is a completely, literally different world. Yeah. Uh, and not just opinions, but news facts. Yeah. Very helpful discussion, guys. I'll look forward to your upcoming talk with Ken on this, Corey. Uh, way to end the discussion with an optimistic view. Very nice. I like it. Well, we are revolutionaries after all. Um, I'm a hopeless optimist. Um, which is actually some of my own shadow that I have to, <laughs> sometimes my friends are, you know, Corey, maybe tone down the optimism a little bit. I like it, buddy. We need but it right now. Off for a while. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So uh, Ryan, this has been a great conversation. Yeah, this was really good. This was good timing for this. It was nice to, and I appreciate everybody being here and sharing their thoughts and having the conversation. That's right. Yeah. Looking yeah. forward to next time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, thanks everyone for joining us. And uh, until next time, Ryan, see you later, buddy. See ya. See ya.